Raised the Jolly Roger with a slick double play. And oh, what a stop, Hayes! There's one! Oh, zip, zap, kazoo! The Buckos just turned two! Ground ball, left side, picked. Oh, Castillo, a pretty play on the first, and a double play! In between hop, and now throwing toward third base, a pick by Hayes! Oh, my goodness, what a play! Key Brian Hayes and Michael Chavis turn it into a double play! Welcome to a special edition of the 412 Double Play Podcast. I am your host, as always, Michael Castrogano. Joining me today, writer for MLB.com, covering the Pittsburgh Pirates, Justice De Los Santos. Justice, thank you for jumping on with me today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I appreciate you just watching me devour us smuckers on Crustable as, as I try to get something in my stomach. I'm not trying to big time you at all. It's just we're, that, we're getting a look life. behind the that's scenes. Life sometimes. That's yeah, life no, no, no. Sometimes. That's. I just got back from the ballpark a couple, maybe like half hour ago, an hour, whenever I, I messaged you on that, I uh, was able to jump in the shower because uh, I am not used to this. I'm coming from Pennsylvania. You've been down here a little bit. You've been able to get used to the, the hot weather again. Um, and this is your second season covering the Pirates. So I wanted to just get some quick thoughts before we get into specific players, um, how this spring differs from last spring and how... Um, I mean, for you personally, how you think that it's it's a different environment, different vibe, if it's the same. Oh, my. <laughs> I could talk about that for I could legitimately <laughs> talk about that for an hour. Um, yeah. I'm trying to figure out, like, where I can even start with that. I mean, first and foremost, it's it's my first season so or second season. Right. So if we just start from there, um, like. Going into the clubhouse the first day, I didn't have to introduce myself to about 50 people a day. I think I trimmed that number down to about 25. Yeah. Um, it was more going into the clubhouse the first day of spring training. It was more, hey, nice to see you. How was your offseason? Hey, my name is Justice De Los Santos from MLB.com. And there's still been a fair amount of that over the course of these last couple of weeks. And you know, I talk with coaches and coaches tell me I'm still like they're still, you know, introducing themselves to people so I don't feel as bad but you know it's not just the fact that it's you know first season to second season um when I'm by the time I got to spring training last year because there was basically two spring trains in a sense there was the week at Pirate City with the non 40 man guys mm -hmm. and then there was and then two weeks later there was the compressed spring training and so when I first got onto the job, it was, you know, this like really weird time. The lockout was still going on. Didn't really know like when spring training was going to kick off, when the regular season was going to kick off. It was just a lot of uncertainty. And here I am kind of in the middle of this fresh off driving across the country, trying to, <laughs> trying to figure out an entire new life for myself. And I remember specifically, so we had, I want to say it's like February 23rd to like March 1st. Those aren't the exact dates, but we basically had a week 
with a week at Pirate City with the non 40 man guys. Mm-hmm. I went back up to Pittsburgh for a, another week. And at this time, I was still, you know, on my friend's couch. And, and so that's a thing in and of itself. I think it was like a Tuesday. I finally locked in an apartment. I'm, I'm hyped. You know, I finally got my own place. And that same day where I lock in my apartment, um, I find out the lockout is over and I have to be in Florida the next day. Yeah. So it's just so many different moving parts. And this is something that was iterated by a lot of players, a lot of coaches, that this was the first normal spring training in almost four years since 2019. Yeah. And this is my first normal spring training. And so I don't take that for granted. Um, I'm not, I wouldn't be mad if there was a lot of monotonous days because that just means a lot of chaos is not unfolding. So that, that kind of went to a lot of different places. Again, I could talk about that, the differences between year one and year two. There's so many of them, but that's kind of the, uh, the spark notes version of it, so to say. Yeah. Well, it seems like there's a different kind of energy this year. And we have a number of pitchers who I want to talk about. Uh, I'm going to start off with Mitch Keller. So first couple of years in the league, he got beat up. But, I mean, there's not really a way to sugarcoat this. He showed some promise, but the fastball was flat at times. He just wasn't really missing bats. Ended up in the bullpen for a stint last season. Comes back, having added the sinker, and had a 3.24 ERA the rest of the year. He looked lights out in his first game the other day. And now it looks like he has six pitches, including what he's calling and you're calling a gyro cutter. So talk to me. I know you just posted an article yesterday on MLB.com about his six or even seven pitch mix for that uh, post you had from baseball savant. I think um, talk to me about these new pitches that he's been adding. It, the pitch designation stuff does even in me talking to him, it does get a little confusing in a sense because the way that he just described the, the Euro cutter, I'm going to start using the food name for it yep. <laughs> to differentiate it. But even in that designation, there's two pitches in there. There's the gyro slider and, the cut fastball and effectively they they're used with the same grip but the differentiating factor is essentially the intent with how he throws it if he's throwing it as he said if he wants to throw it up in the zone and it's kind of in the 90s that is a cutter if he wants to throw it more down in the zone and it's a little slower but maybe the 85 mile per hour range that's more of a gyro slider and effectively they're both means to the same end that being you know, a weapon to attack left-handed batters. And I don't have the exact numbers in front of me right now, but I believe left-handed batters had an OPS of about in the 750 range against Keller. So that's just another means of him being able to attack left-handed batters going into going into this upcoming season. And one of the constant themes that we've seen with Keller that's just been so fascinating about him is that he's had this constant willingness to adapt his repertoire as he sees fit Uh, going Mm -hmm. back to what you said about adding the sinker and adding the sweeper if you go into baseball savant and look at the pitch designations when he first began the season it was four seam slider changeup, curveball pretty typical mix baseball savant actually yeah very typical mix and an event and baseball savant actually retroactively said that he had a couple sweepers in there his first two starts of the season with the sweeper in particular, you know, whether or not that was properly categorized, I believe it was, but, you know, it's kind of just had that cameo there. He essentially shelves it for about a month and a half. 
And then in late May is when we see this real transformation. He begins using the sinker. He begins using the sweeper. And now if you go from, you know, April 7th or whatever day was his last, his first start last season to his first start of spring training, it's almost like a completely different pitch mix. And I was talking with someone about the pitch mix in particular, and he said it, it, it's almost kind of musgrovey in a sense that, you know, it's just like this plethora of different pitches. You know, he didn't compare Mitch Keller to Joe Musgrove in the sense of ability, but just in terms of what the pitch mix is in general. And, you know, how many pitches or what pitches he decides to use are, is going to vary. There are going to be starts when the sinker might be working. There are going to be starts when the sweeper might be working, the cutter, the, the Euro slider. There are going to be like there's going to be a lot of differentiation from start yeah. to start in his usage. And so, it's going to be interesting just on a start to start basis to see what he decides to go with. And one of the, it's, it's incredibly valuable. And he mentioned this is incredibly valuable for him to have that bank of pitches, because if one pitch isn't working a certain day, he can just gravitate to another and, you know, having those fallback options essentially where as in the past, when he was a four pitch pitcher and, you know, going fastball, curveball, slide, change up, if the fastball wasn't working, it's like, okay, where do we kind of, go from here or if right. the changeup is or if the curveball is not working, I why am I ducking around the pitches that I want to say I want to say slider when the slider isn't working it's like where do you kind of go from there because you're just yeah. limited to fastball changeup uh, curveball so that's something that's just very fascinating to me and I, you know if if we want to go six or seven I asked Mitch about it yesterday he said just call it all a cutter just you don't even need the euro just call it cutter I personally want to do one. I I want to call it the gyro cutter because that's a lot cooler. And two, yeah. I want to say seven pitches because it's cooler to have six pitches than seven pitches or seven than six. Right. And I, I like the comp to Musgrove in the fact that he just has this like extraordinary uh, uh, level of pitches. The fact that if the slider's not working, he's able to say, okay, well, I've got this cutter i've got four seam i've got like all these different weapons and that's a problem that can sometimes happen and like i said there's a number of pitchers you posted earlier today uh i believe it was either earlier today or yesterday about how yuri de los santos is, has added a change up holderman's added a sweeper and a cutter um i don't know if we're gonna have time to get into them i do want to talk about luis ortiz so he was working with uh ron Contreras this offseason adding a change up how is he feeling about the pitch and ability to utilize it against lefties? Because I know that was a big thing he said he wanted to. And you wrote about this last week as well. Yeah, we haven't had the opportunity to see him um, in an actual game setting when it comes to the changeup. But in the opportunities that we had to watch him last year, it was clear that you know being able to add that third pitch was going to be invaluable um, to him. Um, as a pitcher because he was predominantly fastball slider and even among the fastball slider combination he was predominantly fastball now right when you have a fastball that can touch 100 miles per hour and you know it's, it's a fastball with some life to it that's a valuable weapon to have that is one hell of a foundation to build upon but going back to what, what we were talking about with mitch and i'll even bring someone else in jt brubaker both yep. of them talk about having these outings over the course of the season where things weren't going well with one pitch and so because they had that arsenal, they were able to gravitate to another pitch. And, you know, Luis Ortiz, his first couple starts in the majors, the one in New York with Aaron Judge chasing 60, that those couple starts in particular really flashed what he can be when things are going well. And 
the, the start against the Cardinals at the tail end of the season when he didn't get out of the first inning, I do take that with a bit of a grain of salt. And, you know, he talked about how that was a valuable experience. Right. But that could have, in my mind, you know, while I do take that start with a grain of salt, and like he's a rookie, he's you know still trying to figure everything out, and he's allowed to have a dud. That being said, that's an instance where you kind of see, you know, when the fastball isn't exactly working how he wants it to, or you're facing a lineup that's full of very veteran experienced hitters that know what to expect, that he's been game planned for a little bit at that point. That's when you can have that fallback option that that's fail safe that's available to him so that if things do go a little awry with the fastball or with the slider, he has something to lean back onto. And so head. So I think he's scheduled to pitch. He's scheduled to pitch sometime in these next couple of days. I, I tweeted out the probables at some point. Yeah. But, Alex Stump, uh, of DK Pittsburgh sports tweeted at me that he's supposed to go tomorrow. I didn't see anything official him. outside of that, but I'm we don't talk about Alex Stump here. <laughs> we don't talk about him here. The rivalries in the boarding room. So um, that's my that's my guy. He tolerates me. He tolerates yeah. me so much. I don't know how he does it. But yeah, we're gonna see him early uh, at some point this weekend. You know, he's gonna light up the radar gun. He's gonna do his thing with the fastball. But the one thing that I'm gonna be looking at is that changeup, and particularly how he uses that changeup against left-handed hitters. And you know. His first start of spring isn't going to be the end-all, be-all. Right. I'm sure there are going to be some kinks that they're, that he's going to need to work out over the course of spring, and that's what spring training's for. So to kind of go a little macro uh, when it comes to Ortiz, it, as things stand, it's a little uncertain if he, that he's going to make the opening day roster as a starter, given that you have Keller, Brubaker, Rowanzi, Hill, and Velasquez. Right. But as you get into the summertime, that's the time when it might be time for him to make that uh, jump to the major leagues and you know consistently stay there and you know that's not saying that everything's a guarantee but that's kind of the trajectory he's on in my yeah. view i think if we talk about it realistically like you said there there are five guys who are pretty much set to be in that rotation to start the year possible that they go with a six-man rotation with johan oviedo um i don't want to speculate too much on whether or not they're going to do that but with only two days off in april it wouldn't be out of the question that they'd want to potentially go with that. And then later on in the season, we've got some top prospects like Luis Ortiz, like Quinn Priester. And the next guy I want to talk about Mike Burroughs. So coming into last season, he was talked about by fans as a potential bullpen guy because he was a fastball curve kind of pitcher. So 22, he adds a changeup, becomes an above average pitch for him. Coming into spring this year, he added a slider. Haven't seen it in game. I know he had a sim game yesterday. You were tweeting out about um, but the video that I saw from earlier in spring training, it looked like it had a ton of break. Was Burroughs throwing the slider, and how successful is that for him? When it comes to the the slider in particular, well, actually, can you feedback up a little bit? You kind of broke up on it. Was you talking about Burroughs in particular? Yeah, talking about Burroughs and his slider and how comfortable he is with throwing it. Yeah, I haven't had the opportunity yet to talk with Burroughs specifically about the slider, but, you know, we did have the opportunity to see it a little bit in sim and not necessarily sim game action. And, um, well, he did pitch a sim game yesterday, but a sim game, sim game, as well as um, just a live bullpen. Yeah. And again, to keep kind of going back to the, the conversation about Mitch Keller and, you know, diversifying the repertoire, you know, the curveball, I think, I think fan graphs may have rated it as a 70 grade curveball and it is beautiful yes. when that thing is on it is beautiful 
people, but effectively, not to go all pitching. I don't think you need me of all people to go all pitching nerd, but you know, it's just another means of creating spin while still like having that threat looming of, you know, it's, you know, it's doesn't quite have that loop of a mm -hmm. curveball, but it's still something that can keep a hitter on his toes. I mean, greatest pitcher on this planet. Uh, actually, I think that's kind of a controversial statement to say. Jacob DeGrom, you kind of see like what he can do okay. with his sliders. It's really clicking. Again, not making comparisons to Jacob DeGrom and Mike Burroughs, but you can see like that is the, you know, 99th percentile outcome of like when a slider sure. is going. And you can, I, I think I just explained like the concept of a slider inadvertently. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry to treating your listeners like idiots. I promise that was, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's again, it's another thing that I'm really excited to see over the course of spring training. Once he gets on the mound against major league because you know, it's one thing to do it in a live bullpen session. It's one thing to do it when the, what's the word I want to use when the stakes aren't quite as high. Um, yeah. And Burroughs, again, he's another guy that I expect to start the season uh, with AAA Indianapolis. But considering he was just added to the 40-man and roster this past offseason, there is a very solid chance that he makes the 26-man roster at some point this season and potentially joining a rotation. I don't even know what that rotation might look like come the summertime. But, you know, it's a fun rotation to think about when you think yes. about guys like Burroughs, like Ortiz, like Priest, that formulating this mix as the season goes along. Yeah, I'm really excited for those guys. And I I think of those guys, I Ortiz I'm very high on, but I'm extremely high on Burroughs, especially with that curve. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that this pitch arsenal, arsenal comes together, allows him to become a potential ace. Really, he's just got such swing and miss stuff. Um, as does Ortiz with the addition of the changeup, potentially a really good weapon. All right, so next thing I want to talk about, pictures and videos have come out, interesting pairings with the Vets, Young Bucks, Kutch and Hayes, Santana and Cruz, Hedges with Endy and Davis. So the impact of those seasoned players getting to talk with the younger generation is incalculable, really. What can you tell me about the specific mentoring or discussions some of these players are having during those spring workouts? One of the more interesting, you know, I I was talking to the Pirates clubhouse manager. I'm forgetting his actual Scott Bonnet. I call yeah, him Bones all the time, so it's easy to forget yeah. his actual name. But I was talking to Scott last year, and he had configured the the lockers to where Rwanzi was right next to Quintana. And I asked him, I was like, "Was that intentional? Did you do that on purpose?" And he was like, "Yes, that was very intentional." And he's effectively done the same. The one that stands out to me personally is he's effectively done the same thing. Um, with O'Neill Cruz and Carlos Santana. Yeah. I think if I'm remembering the configuration right, I think Cruz is like his lockers are sandwiched between like Santana and and Duhar. I know like in the, that specific corner, it's like Santana and Duhar, like they're really close to them. Um, I'm just, I can't remember the exact configuration off the top of my head. Kind of speaking to the element of you know, the Pirates, you know, still at their core are a very young team and they are going to continue to get younger as the season goes along. If you look at the guys that are on the major league roster, you think about O'Neill Cruz, Jack Sawinski, Rodolfo Castro. You think about yeah. guys that are coming up, Andy Rodriguez, Henry Davis, Quinn Priester, Mike Burrows, 
And then you know, he's been there, but, you know, Luis Ortiz and even a guy like Johan Oviedo. And, you know, you can go down that laundry list. Jiwan Bay, you can go down that laundry list of very young guys. And, you know, it's, you know, you do want to have a lot of young talent. You do want them to be able to take their lumps and you do want them to be able to grow together. And you do want them to be occupying these roster spots. But that being said, this growth doesn't occur in a vacuum. We're not playing MLB the show where it's like, you know, they can be on a continued path of growth kind of no matter what. And, right. you know, that's where these veterans come in, where a guy like Carlos Santana, he's been an all-star. He's been to a World Series. There's not a lot he hasn't seen. Same thing with G-Man Choi, who's been to a World Series as well. Rich Hill, he's, you know, he's about to be the oldest pitcher in major league baseball not even oldest pitcher just oldest player oldest period. player yeah um, unless someone just unless someone decides to come out of retirement sometime soon um austin hedges he helped navigate the youngest pitching staff in baseball last year when it comes to henry andy and henry that's some guy that like you know can help when it comes to you know, like navigate a group of young guys and the one moment that really stuck out to me and it stuck out to me which is why i wrote about it um <laughs> it was after johan oviedo's i want to say it was his first bullpen session of the spring and after the bullpen session he was sitting on like this kind of table configuration behind the bullpen and rich hill just starts he, he grabs a baseball and starts kind of pantomiming you know how to kind of release a breaking ball i think it was a slider I and didn't know if it was going to be the slider or the curve. I was hopeful he was teaching him his curve. Yeah, it was. Richard's curve is, is on another. Yeah. Kind of on it. <laughs> that, that one's that's hard. That one's probably hard to teach, especially when you can get as slow as he can get with that pitch. Yeah. But it was just this It perfectly encapsulated not only what Rich Hill as a veteran means to this young Pirates team, but what this collective as a whole can mean to this young group of Pirates. Now, when you kind of, if, if you want to be realistic, are some of these guys going to be there for the next iteration of the Pirates teams that potentially makes a playoff run? Likely not. But are the lessons that those guys were able to absorb from those types of guys going to stick? Absolutely. And to kind of go back to last season, Jose Quintana, like right. there was a universal love for Jose Quintana and the influence that he was able to spread in that clubhouse. So much so that when Quintana returned to PNC Park for the first time, all three pitchers, Rwanzi Contreras, Mitch Keller, and JT Brubaker, they all used Quintana's walkout song, Mueve Mami, which is a capital, no, not even capital B, all caps banger. If you if you kind of down, if you down, if you need to groove a little bit, just type in Mueve Mami, throw that on, throw that up on YouTube real quick. So banger. Um, I'll put on the intro. And they all used they all used Mueve Mami as their outro song to, you know, as a tribute to him. And when Rwanzi Contreras initially did it on that Friday game, I was like, oh, this is just a testament to their personal relationship in particular. Sure. But then when Keller did it and Brubaker did, I was like, this is like that is the encapsulation of what a veteran brings to a very, very young team. And I'm sure if I was to ask Rwanzi or Mitch or JT or any of the guys that are still on this team about Quintana or that were teammates with him, I should say. If I would ask right. any of those guys about the lasting influence that Quintana had, I'm sure they could all wax poetic for about 10 minutes about what he was able to bring. And so 
going to, you know, to bring this back to the current group of veterans that are on the Pirates. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a solid group of guys. It is guys that have been around. It is guys that have been universally regarded as positive influences. And when you have, like, when you complement, you know, the treasure trove of young guys that they, I don't want to use treasure trove, that's a little too much. Um, when you, when you kind of contrast, you know, this plethora of young guys versus these veterans who have been around the block, that's kind of like this perfect melding of the minds where the young guys have the talent, they have all the ceiling in the world, the sky's the limit, yada, yada, yada. But they have those guys in their corner that can, you know, maintain that equilibrium, help make sure they make sure they don't get too high, get too low. You know, all of the positive kind of yeah. stuff here when they when it comes to guys. Cool. All right. Well, I want to let you get back to eating your Uncrustables. So that wraps it up for all of us here <laughs> at the 412 Double Play Podcast. Thank you to our guest, Justice, for jumping on with us. You can follow him on Twitter at Just De Los Santos, where he posts all the updates on the Pirates, as well as near daily donuts picks. Follow me at 412 Double Play. Continue listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever else you listen from all of us here at the 412 Double Play Podcast crew. Thank you for joining us, and let's go, Bucks. <laughs> Yo, chica. Te ves buena. Ahora me llaman el flaquito de swing. A toda la voy a matar. Mueve, mami. Ese cuerpo. Ese cuerpito que a los hombres llenan de Yo, yo, vuelve, mamá.